You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Okay, well, good morning. Uh, thank you guys uh, once again for coming out. Like Roy said, uh, this time of the year, a lot of people are uh, traveling and seeing family and uh, you know, UP's out for the, for the year, so they're probably heading back home. Um, but just good to see you guys. If I don't know you, my name's Josh. I think I've met everybody in here pretty much, so I almost, not, not all you guys. Hi, how you doing? I'm Josh. Um, uh, today we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, but before we get started in that, uh, every year as a church, around the holiday season, uh, we want to um, be a people who represent God's kingdom. Um, and what that means is, uh, is to help those who are in need. Uh, it's a big part of, of God coming to earth, incarnating, uh, coming here to bring the, the, the good news of the gospel to us. Uh, in the same way, we want to be a people who go and who, and, uh, who, who take that message out. Uh, and that's with our words, but it's also with our actions. It's with our, our, our wallets, uh, and it's with our time. And so during the holiday seasons, uh, we like to pick a couple of organizations that we can help support uh, financially. Uh, we like to kind of reprioritize our finances. I know this time of the year we fall into this temptation of consumerism and buying our kids tons and tons of stuff that they really don't need. Uh, but instead, we want to say, God, what do you want us to do with your money? Um, you know, if we're your people, you created everything. Uh, what would you do with your money, God, basically? And, uh, and so uh, as a church, we'd like to present you guys some opportunities that you can give toward financially uh, during the Christmas uh, season. So la- the last few years, we've chosen a local organization and we've chosen a global organization. And uh, we've given to both of those. And so last year, uh, the last two years, actually, globally, we've partnered with Africa New Life. Uh, we're really blessed to have one of their staff members here in our church. And we've uh, taken up offerings at times. We bought desks for schools. Uh, last year, we bought goats and chickens. Um, and uh, this year, once again, we're going to be encouraging you guys to, uh, to give toward African New Life. And the way we're doing it this year is you can go on their website, uh, africannewlife.org, and you can go and click on the link that says, Give a Child a Gift. It's at the top of the page. And then it pulls up this web page of all the different gifts that you can give uh, to a child if you want to. You can give them a backpack. You can give them a goat again. Uh, you can give them clothes. You can give them a medical kit. Uh, whatever you would like to give. This is something great as a family that you can do together. If you have kids, you can get on the website together. You can say, hey, it's uh, $39 for us to buy uh, a goat. Uh, let's pull our resources as a family and let's do that. So we're asking that you, go, you guys... <coughs> excuse me, do that independently of us as a whole church. So this is something that you can do on your own. You can go to the website, you can give. And, uh, and it's a great way for you to show your children particularly uh, that, that we are going to be a people who help those who are in most need. And these, these kids are very, very, very uh, uh, hurting in Rwanda. I was able to go to uh, one of their, um, the African New Life's uh, benefit dinners that they do recently, and uh, hear the stories. And there's an amazing video that you can go to on their website and watch the story of the, the founder and the work that they're doing and all the schools that they're running and the impact that they're making in that area is truly amazing. And we want to be one of their partners. So I encourage you guys to do that. Uh, so over this next couple of weeks, we're going to keep promoting African New Life and, and, uh, and saying, okay, you know, God, and you need to ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do with this money? Do I really need another PS3? 
or, uh, or can I really you know, make an impact for a child uh, in need this, this year? And then also we like to choose a local organization uh, to team up with. Uh, last year, we, we bought uh, blankets and mats for the emergency warming shelter. Uh, this year, we're teaming up with Community of Hope. Uh, Community of Hope is the program that meets uh, here downstairs in our children's space and in the office building across the street. It's a shelter for women and children, and, uh, and it's able to, to provide for them a, a place where they can live in community, uh, where they can uh, acquire the skills they need necessary to, uh, to move on uh, and to really kind of get their feet back underneath them and, and press on. So uh, this year what we want to do is take up an offering for Community of Hope to give toward them. It's going to be a corporate offering that uh, we're going to take up the last uh, Sunday of the year. And, uh, and we're going to give that toward Community of Hope to help. So uh, we're going to watch a short promo video uh, that, uh, that Community of Hope has done talking about kind of, uh, uh, it's actually about the church in North Portland, but it's about Community of Hope also. And then afterwards, Linda Joe's going to head up here and she's the director of Community of Hope and she's going to share a little bit about what God is doing. So let's check this out. Thank you all for letting me come here today. I've been thinking a lot lately about what a gift you all are to us. The Community of Hope would not exist if it weren't for the gift that you gave us in letting us use the space downstairs and and across the way. I am so grateful. It is not just that we have a place. We couldn't exist without that, but... It's, it's a privilege to me to see women's lives change and to see the lives change of the volunteers that come also. That this is a, it's a much bigger deal than just giving people a place to stay. So thank you for what you have done. Um, so uh, Josh asked me to tell a little bit about where we are in this process of looking at the possibility of using the hub more, more full-time. Uh, Paul very wonderfully drew up the plans for us uh, 
and we have the plan is that the in the war room upstairs and in the living room we're going to build walls and make those bedrooms in the room at the end of the hall that's going to be more of a, a living area and a classroom and then downstairs we'll have um and and there'll also be another bathroom up there uh, and the staff will have a, a bedroom up there and downstairs there will be uh, a room with showers and laund another one with laundry facilities and there'll be another ADA accessible bedroom and bathroom. Um, we'll expand the kitchen just a little bit and, and have a storeroom there too. So those are the plans. We'll, we'll see what happens with that and, and we'll do however much we can afford to do. We're also talking to the city. We have to get um, a conditional use permit, which means that we're changing the zoning um, so we have that application in, and we have our first meeting in January. Again, we have to get approval from the city in order to do this, uh, and that's not, it's probable. They're, they've been very supportive of us, but it's not a done deal. Um, I'm also looking for a general contractor to oversee all of that, and we haven't found somebody yet, but we have some possibilities, and then we, we need to raise enough money to pay for all of those renovations and get enough volunteer help to do it all. So there's a, um, there's a lot that has to happen and a lot that has already happened. I already have a commitment from a group of people that are going to build the beds for us. So, uh, and we're raising money. We have uh, two families that have given $10,000 each in in matching funds, so anyone who gives at this point, which would include, if you're taking an offering here, all of that money will be tripled uh, during this time for the end of the rest of the year. So we're making, it is just amazing to me where we've come from a year ago, that what we're doing now, I, I never, when, when Josh first came to us and said, oh, you can use this space downstairs and this space across the street, it, it never occurred to me that this might be a more permanent place. But I am so looking forward to having a place of our own where the women can get up whenever they want to and not have to get up and go across the street. And that they can take a shower whenever they want to and not have to go wait until a volunteer comes and sets up the shower and be in the shower trailer. And, and we can have the space of our own that'll be more like a home. And we can double our capacity. We can have eight families instead of four. So um, I'm just so excited about the possibility of this. Uh, it's not a done deal by any means, but, um, and that's part of the decision that you all get to make. But it would be such a gift. So thank you. Uh, so, uh, like she said, we're, we're in the process of having a lot of conversations with them and praying with Community of Hope, uh, wanting to offer them that office building across the street that we have for free, uh, but it's going to require them to do a lot of renovations to it, about $50,000 worth of renovations to it. And, uh, and so we're asking for a couple of different things. If you guys would pray for wisdom for, uh, for me and Royce as we have those conversations with them and, and making sure this is what God wants us to move forward in doing, it, he, you know, sometimes you kind of... They step forward and say, yes, God, is this what you want? Is this what you want? And, and he, keeps to, he keeps telling us to go forward, so we're pressing forward. Uh, so pray for us. Um, 
on the January 4th uh, annual budget meeting that we're going to have. All the details of this are going to come out. We're going to talk a lot more about the Community of Hope uh, because we want you guys to really be a part of that decision-making process with us. So if you have questions between now and then, feel free to talk to us. But please plan on coming on January 4th. I'd love to see more than 10 people at our annual budget meeting as we decide uh, what God wants us to do with the, with the, with the money for the next year. So um, you guys just trust us that much. Um, so on, like I said, at the end of the, the last Sunday of this month, we're going to be taking up an offering. So if we can raise $3,000, uh, that's actually $9,000 that's going to go to the Community of Hope. So if we could get, you know, four or five churches in the, in the community to do that, uh, this thing would be paid for in no time. And, and they can press on and continue to serve uh, women and children. So I want you guys to be a part of that. So pray for that. Pray for the meeting with the city. Uh, pray that God would provide a general contractor as we continue to move uh, forward. So uh, with that, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, to our, our, our message here in the book of Matthew. Uh, Father, as always, we come before you uh, wanting to submit ourselves under the authority of your word, uh, wanting to uh, hear from you, God, uh, believing that uh, you speak as clearly to us through your word as you did to Joseph uh, through Gabriel or as you did to King Ahaz through Isaiah. Uh, you are a God that is speaking. Uh, you are a God that is alive and is engaged with his people. And so as we approach the book of Matthew, uh, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to know your truth of your word, uh, that we would be softened towards your ways, uh, and that we would uh, continue to grow in righteousness as we, as we learn more about you and more about uh, your plan. So we believe these things can happen because of, uh, because of your son, because of the indwelling of the spirit. We ask this in the name of the son. Amen. So uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, I've had some uh, kind of ironic moments. Uh, twice, uh, I've been in a group of people who have begun singing uh, Christmas songs. It's not unusual this time of the year, you know, to go to public gatherings. Uh, one was at the St. John's Winterfest with, there with Lane uh, and a couple of other people and the, the curse. And, and another time was at a performance recently at my kid's school. Uh, at the end of an orchestra performance, we sang, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Uh, as, a, as a school, uh, everybody sang together. And uh, the irony was uh, being inside of a group of people who are professing Jesus Christ as king of the world, knowing that the majority of them don't actually believe that, right? And it was the same for the St. John's Winterfest. As we were standing out there in our community, it's a beautiful picture of, hey, look, we're all singing about the king has come, joy to the world, but believing uh, that in reality, most of the people standing out here don't actually believe that. So we're caught in this, this challenge this time of year. It's a little bit of a paradigm that we have where our culture professes Christ, at least in song uh, for, the, for the most part, but functionally they don't actually believe that the Savior has come because you can tell by the way that they live their lives that he doesn't actually live inside of them. They haven't, they haven't been redeemed. They haven't been saved. And so uh, God is much more interested in our functional profession than just our, in our, in our functional uh, profession of him than our confessional profession. Does that make sense? So, so God is interested that, yes, many times we come to Christ and it starts off confessionally just saying, hey, God, I believe that Jesus is real. I believe that he came. I believe that I'm a, I'm a sinner. But that truth has to move beyond words to our actions, that's when kind of the rubber meets the road in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And many times that is evidenced in the way that we live out our daily lives. If I actually believe that God is with us. Many of the songs that we even sang today, 
We can sing those songs, but it will be the belief in the truth of that will be evidenced in the way that we live our lives. And, uh, and particularly one way uh, that we see that is in our decision-making processes. That's where, where God really comes in and begins to change our heart. And we start making decisions and making choices based off of his will and based off of his, uh, his word. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the story of two different men who encounter God, who they confessionally believe that God is with them. Emmanuel has come, but one of them functionally doesn't actually believe it, and the other one does. And this is meant to give us an example in God's word of what does it mean to really believe with my life that God is with us, that Emmanuel has come. And so for the first story, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So I would invite you guys to uh, open your Bible to Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It's a very familiar story. Uh, we're going to stand uh, under the authority of the word. And, uh, and uh, we're going to stand for the Matthew passage, but we're not going to do it for the one in Isaiah later. I'm just going to tell that story. But, but as we read through the book of Matthew, we want to continue to stand and submit ourselves under what God is saying to us here. So Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of God, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. This is a familiar story for us around the the Christmas holidays, the the birth of uh, of Jesus Christ. I'm sure many of you guys have heard it or or know the story pretty uh, thoroughly. Uh, The story obviously starts off with Mary being conceived of the Holy Spirit from God. Uh, that in and of itself could be a sermon. Uh, it could be, we could talk about that all, 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 every Sunday in the month of December about how can God, how can Jesus Christ actually be from God and also how can he be fully divine but also be fully human and be uh, from Mary. But I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time there, uh, like I said, because that's a, a different message in itself. It's an amazing story. Uh, but the one thing that I just wanna make real clear is that Matthew in his gospel here, is trying to make the point very clear to his readers that Jesus is from God and not from Joseph. God is Jesus's father. Joseph is not, is not Jesus's, Jesus's paternal father. That's why at the end of the genealogy that Royce taught through last week, remember we kept reading through the father of, the father of, the father of, and then when it got to, to, the, to the very end, it said, uh, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, um, whom Jesus was born, who is called 
the Christ. So Joseph, uh, uh, sorry, Matthew is making very clear to us, to the reader, saying, hey, this child is from uh, God. He came upon Mary and the Holy Spirit. You can read in the beginning, uh, you can read in Luke to get more about that story of how God actually came upon Mary. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon her and impregnated her in some way that I can't even fathom uh, what that looked like and, and, uh, and what that what that meant. But we know that Joseph is not his father uh, because it says here in our passage in, in Matthew 18 that before they came together, she was found to be with child. Before they came together, meaning before they had sex, they, she became pregnant. Joseph and Mary were betrothed, which we try to compare that to engagement, but it's, engagement really doesn't do it justice because it was a prearranged marriage. It would have involved a public ceremony of the uniting of the two of them even before they were married. So at this point in their uh, betrothal, they are called husband and wife, although they have not been together yet sexually. Mary obviously becomes pregnant, and, uh, and this is going to be a, quite a challenge for Joseph as any of you uh, guys uh, can, can uh, sympathize uh, with Joseph. It says in verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Mary comes to Joseph at some point. The authors don't tell us and says, Hey, uh, by the way, God impregnated me last night, and I'm going to have the Savior of the world. And, and just kind of sit in that reality of, of Joseph saying, Really? That's what happened. That's the story that you're going to go with is the Holy Spirit came upon you. She said, yeah, the angel Gabriel came to me, told me it was going to happen ahead of time. And we obviously know that Joseph has a hard time with this decision because Mary has to leave. She goes and spends three months with Elizabeth. Uh, And at that moment, you have the cool story of John the Baptist being in Elizabeth's stomach and him jumping for joy as as Mary arrives and and the the prediction of the prophecy. uh, The prophecy is fulfilled in that also. But Joseph, in this moment, has to make a decision. Does he believe Mary or does he not believe Mary? And we can see from the text that Joseph does not believe Mary. At least, you know, functionally, he, you know, he says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce you, you know. That's, that's the way this thing's going to go down. And, uh, and it's interesting because it says that Joseph is a just man. And sometimes we read that and think he's like tenderhearted or he's a compassionate man. That's not what that means at all. It means that he, want, he has a sense of justice and that if she's guilty, she deserves to face the consequences of that. That's what it means to be, to be just. So to a, to a Jew, if you, uh, for a, particularly a virgin, if a virgin uh, is impregnated, there's some pretty harsh consequences that come out of that uh, at this time in, uh, in, in the Bible. We can read in Deuteronomy uh, 22, it has the sexual immorality laws that God gave his people. It basically says, hey, if this happens, you're to do this. And one of the, one of the laws um, in, uh, in the Torah there says that if a virgin is, uh, is impregnated inside of the walls of the city, she's to be stoned to death. Uh, the reason for that is because if she's inside of the city and she's impregnated, that means that she wasn't raped because she didn't cry out for help because somebody would have heard her. So she has chosen to then give herself over to another man who is not her husband. And because of that, she deserves death. This applies in that case because Mary is a virgin who was impregnated inside of the walls of the city. But Joseph chooses not to go that route and because you can't prove that. There's no man, right? There's no guy that we can say, hey, it was this guy that did it. We caught him. So Joseph really doesn't know what to do. So instead of having her stoned to death, 
him being a just man, it says that he's going to divorce her quietly, which was not um, uh, encouraged to divorce your wife by any, by any means. But there were some uh, exemptions for it uh, in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And, uh, and it's interesting because it says he decides to divorce her quietly because he very well could have divorced her publicly. Meaning you bring her before the city council, accusations are brought against her, she is basically shamed She's given the scarlet letter, they're divorced, and she will spend the rest of her life as a widow. I mean, as a, as a single uh, mother, pretty much, having to raise that child on, on her own. Which, obviously, Joseph says, you know what, I'm also not going to do that for Mary. Because I can't, I don't know what happened to Mary. But he still doesn't believe that what God, what Mary is saying, is true, right? He's still wrestling with this reality of of what am I supposed to do? So it takes an act of God being with Joseph to convince him of this. And we can see this in verse 20. It says, but as he considered these things, so Joseph is pondering all these things. Mary's gone. He's got three months to think about this. As he's considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So physically, God comes to Joseph through the angel Gabriel, much like he came to Mary and told her what what was going to happen. Uh, He physically comes to Mary, but he comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him, hey, Mary's telling the truth. This is my child, and I want you to name him Jesus. It it goes on here. Uh, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, right? Right? He tells him to name him Jesus because Jesus, as Royce talked about last week, means Yahweh saves. It was a really common name to give an Israelite boy because it was meant to point toward the promise of a coming Savior that they have always believed was going to come. So he says, name him Jesus, but he's Jesus the Christ, right? He is the Messiah. He's the one that we have been waiting for. And then Matthew does something really interesting in the text here. He points to an Old Testament passage, which I'm going to come back to in a second. But I want you guys to look at Joseph's response to this, this, show, this, this reality of God being with them. What does it say in verse 24? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife. He knew her not until she, get, she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph had to make a very difficult decision, didn't he? He was caught in the reality of, okay, God, am I, do I actually believe you? And this is where every follower of Christ has to come to this point in this journey with God, where you have to say, do I really believe you, God? Do I really believe this? Because sometimes God asks us to do things that doesn't really make sense, right? Especially doesn't line up with the way that I think life should go. It doesn't line up with the way that I think things should be done. But we have to come before God's word and say, okay, God, I believe that, that you're speaking through, it, through this. So I'm going to submit myself to you. This is how we submit ourselves to God, church. It's through his word, right? Angels do sometimes come to us and tell us to do things. It doesn't happen very often. It's pretty rare these days. Why? Because we live after Jesus has come. We're filled with God's spirit. We're given the complete word. We have everything necessary we need to hear from God and be obedient to his word if we're going to listen to God. So in the moment, Joseph had to make a decision. Do I believe that God is with me? And if God is with me, 
You know, that's the name that they gave Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. If I believe that's true, that's going to change the way that I live my life. It's going to change the way that I celebrate this holiday season. So that's one response that we have to the reality of God being with us. The other one that we have is found in this, in this passage that, that Matthew alludes to. It's in Isaiah. So look in verse 22. As, as Matthew is, is pondering all that's happened, as he's writing his gospel, he's thinking about the virgin conceiving, having a baby. He says, oh my gosh, I remember when that happened, when that, somebody said that was going to happen in the Old Testament. And so uh, Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken to the prophet. Verse 22 And this is what the prophet has said. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So Matthew, in his mind, remembers what something that had been written 500 years before by a guy named Isaiah, who was a a prophet that lived during the Old Testament. And this is pretty cool of what Matthew does. He's making these connections. He's drawing the dots. Remember when Royce kind of drew the, the long line last week on the board and he said, Abraham, David, Jesus, us. Matthew, at this point in God's plan of redemptive history, is looking back to a previous event and saying, I remember when God said that and it just came true. Well, Matthew does this a lot in his gospel because Matthew has a point that he's trying to make, right? He's trying to let us know, hey, that king that we've been waiting for, that promised seed of Adam, that promised blessing of Abraham, that promised kingship of David, that promised shepherd, that promised uh, sacrifice, that promised priest throughout God's Old Testament, that's Jesus and he's come. And so Matthew is, is realizing this as he's writing his gospel and he's looking back at all these amazing Old Testament texts. And he's saying, hey, when the prophet said this, that just got fulfilled. And hey, when the prophet said this, this just got fulfilled. So Matthew does that in our passage today. Whenever we come across these passages in the Bible, you got to go back and read the original stories. You can't come across Matthew uh, 123 and when he says, and the prophet, you know, and this, and this fulfilled what the prophet said and go, oh, okay, that sounds great. I'm just going to move on. It's a major part of God's story. So we have to go back and we have to look at that story because it's very significant. So for that, we need to go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7 in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 7. So here's just a few things we need to talk about. Um, When reading the Old Testament, uh, you can't just open up to Isaiah 7 and just read Isaiah 7, right? Because you have to read the story around the story, right? If the, if the Bible is a story with a bunch of these different little stories inside of it, you have to know the larger context of what's going on at, the, at any point in the Bible when you're reading it. It's true for the New Testament, too. You can't just, like, I'm just going to open up the Bible and just start reading here. You need to start in books at the beginning and work your way through it. And so when you're reading a book like the book of Isaiah, there's a couple of things that we need to, that we need to understand. It's a prophetic book, Right? When you have all these different books, books of history, uh, books of wisdom, you have books of prophecy, the major and the minor prophets toward the end of the Old Testament. This is a major prophet. And the books of prophecy in the Old Testament many times are prophesying about something that's going to happen, right? That's why they call them prophets. And so sometimes they're prophesying about something that's just about to happen, like tomorrow, and it does. But sometimes they talk about things that are going to happen way in the future, Many of those happen when Jesus comes. Some of those even haven't happened yet because we're waiting for Jesus to return. And they've talked about it. So we need to remember when we read the book of Isaiah, it's a book of prophecy. It's talking about things that are about to happen. 
We also need to understand the fact that when you read an Old Testament book, there's a lot going on at that time because these books were written at a certain point in history and God had something very specific going on at that time, okay? So in just a plug for the ESV Bible, this is why we recommend reading this Bible because at the beginning of every book, it has this long explanation of what's going on at that time. And you can, you can say, oh, okay, let me get some context for how to read this. And so in the book of Isaiah... What's going on at the time is uh, Israel is, uh, you know, God's people, the Jews, they are in the promised land, right? Okay. But they have been divided into two kingdoms, right? So there's the northern kingdom of of Israel, uh, also known as Ephraim. And then there's the southern kingdom of of Judah. And I'm going to use my um, kindergartner writing skills to draw you guys a map, and it's going to be, CJ, you're going to want to take a picture of this one. I mean, this one's going to go down in the, in the books. Um, so Mediterranean Sea, for all you geographical buffs, you're just going to have to get over this. Um, so we're, going to, we're just going to do something like this. Uh, this is going to be the southern kingdom uh, known as Judah, right? Uh, and this is going to be the, the northern kingdom. Uh, known as, as Israel. Um, so this is all the, all the promised land, right? God's, God's people. At this point, uh, they've been divided in half. And in Israel, uh, we have kind of a capital, I guess you want to call it that, with a temple in Samaria. And then I don't actually know where Jerusalem's located. I'm going to put it over here. Um, you have Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. So you have these two kingdoms, and, uh, and the, the kingdoms have been separated. Uh, it's a long story. You should go back and read that. These two kingdoms are at war with one another, right? They don't like each other, and they're constantly fighting. Each of these kingdoms is ruled by a king. And many times throughout the Old Testament, these kings are very sinful. You have a couple like great kings, like, you know, David's in there, uh, Hezekiah, But for the most part, a lot of times these kings are very bad kings. And God said that was going to happen. God said, I'm your king. They're like, we don't want you to be our king. Give us our own king. And so, okay, I'll give you a king and he'll be really bad to you. And and then you'll learn that I'm the good king. Anyway, so at this point uh, in in Judah, uh, you have a guy who's the king. He's the heir of David, the chosen king that's supposed to be over all this area. And he's a guy named Ahaz, okay? In the, in the northern kingdom, uh, you have a king there, and his name's Perez. Okay, so those are the, those are the two kings. So they're at war with one another. Um, both of these kings are very sinful. Uh, when you read uh, the books of history, First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Corinthians uh, Chronicles, many times it'll say, "And this is the days of Ahaz." And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You guys, you know, as you read the Old Testament, it says that over and over again. Ahaz and Perez were like, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, these are bad kings. Uh, Ahaz particularly, this guy down here, uh, he's already offered up his son as a sacrifice to a false god. Uh, Later on, he's going to destroy the altar that's in God's holy place and replace it with one from a pagan nation. And then he's going to try to offer up sacrifices to Jehovah on a pagan altar. So, bad king, right? This guy is, 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 uh, is, is making some really, really bad choices. So while all this is going on, God calls Isaiah to be a prophet to Judah during, during this time, right? 
So uh, many times the, the northern kingdom have, has his own prophets, guys like um, Jeremiah prophesies the northern kingdom. Uh, but Isaiah is called to prophesy to, to Judah. So here's what happens. Uh, because they're at war in the book of, in the book of Isaiah, uh, you could also read this story in 2 Kings 16. It uh, gives you a little more context. Isaiah 7, 2 Kings 16. So here's what goes on in the story. Perez, uh, king of Samaria, decides to attack Jerusalem. Um, Perez. Um, further beautiful illustrations. Mediterranean Sea goes that way. Um, we're going to call this Syria. And then kind of like all of this is Assyria. You know, I have this awesome Bible program called Logos that has these beautiful maps that I cannot figure out how to get it to work. And so you guys are stuck with this. I'm sorry. If anybody's a Logos expert, please tell me how to use the mapping program. Um, so what happens is Perez decides to attack Jerusalem uh, where King Ahaz is. And Perez can't do it on himself. So uh, he, this is Damascus, he asks the king of Damascus uh, named Rezin, uh, Rezin, he says, hey, would you help me attra- attack Judah? And he's like, Sure. So he comes down, and they besiege Jerusalem, meaning they surround it with their army. Um, and they're, I mean, imagine um, some historical, you know, war movie, the, the, the trebuchets and the rocks, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, they're just, they're attacking. The, the Ooks are at the kingdom. I mean, they're trying to get in. But Jerusalem has these big, really high walls, and they can't get in. So, so they're, they're being attacked. So uh, in the middle of this, I mean, just imagine Ahab. I mean, imagine Isaiah. He's like, hey, go and talk to the king in the middle of this. Like, that's going on. So God goes to to, uh, Isaiah and says, hey, Isaiah, I want you to go to Ahaz, and I want you to tell him. Uh, You can read about it in chapter 7. Basically, and I'm going to tell you guys a story. He says, basically, don't worry about these two guys. I've got this under control. And he says uh, to King Ahaz, he says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps, which is kind of funny. That's all, that's all God thinks these two kingdoms are. He's like, they're just smoldering stumps to me. He's like, don't worry about them. Be careful, be quiet. I'm your God and I will save you, right? So what does Ahaz do? Instead of that, he says, you know what? I do not believe that you are with me, God. So I'm gonna ask for help. So Ahaz takes all of the gold and silver that's in the temple of the king, in the temple of, uh, of, of the house of God, and he takes it all and he gives it to the Assyrians, which are led by a guy that I can't pronounce his name. And he asked them, he said, I will give you all this gold and silver if you will attack Syria so that they will leave me alone, right? And the king, uh, the king of Assyria says, yeah, I'll do that. So he takes all the gold, he attacks Syria. Syria has to leave to defend Damascus, which causes, uh, some, which causes uh, Perez to also have to leave and go back to where he's from. Judah is saved temporarily, right? In, in response to all this, Ahaz goes to the Assyrians. He loves their altar to their false god so much, he remakes it in Jerusalem. And eventually the Assyrians overcome Syria, they overcome Israel, and then eventually um, it kind of transitions to the Babylonian Empire, and that's when they, they come under and they, and they take over Judah. So, right, 
Fun, interesting story, right? I'm sorry for the drawings, but that's the best that we have. Um, it's an amazing story because it's a story of a king having to believe that God is truly with him. But we can see from his actions that King Ahaz does not believe that God is with him, right? So in this interaction, I'm going to take us back to this moment. They're in this garden together. It's King Ahaz. Uh, You can imagine the bombs exploding in the background. Uh, People are starving. And and, uh, Isaiah comes to to, uh, him and says, don't, comes to King Ahaz and says, hey, be careful, be quiet, don't worry. And we're going to pick up here in Isaiah 7.10. And it says, and again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. It says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol and high as heaven. So you can ask anything you want. These are the two extremes, right? Ask of your God. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. That is the greatest statement of irony ever. This is a guy that has offered his son as a sacrifice to a false God. And in his piousness, he says, I would never test the Lord my God. You're like, dude, everything you've done up until this moment has tested the Lord your God. You should be lucky to be alive. But he says, oh no, I, I would not ask a test of the Lord your God. And, uh, and it's interesting God's response here in, in verse 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David. So the king in Israel represents the entire nation, right? That's one thing, the job of the king is to represent all the people. So he calls them, oh, he, he says, he's talking to the king, but he says, O house of David. He says, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you also weary, that you weary my God also? So what God's saying, not only have I given you my word and spoken to you through all of these different men, not only have I sent Isaiah to talk to you right now, not only do you weary them by not listening to them, but you, but are you trying to weary me? It's a question. God says, what are you trying to, are you trying to weary me? And can God be wearied? No, not at all. Is, is God afraid that Ahaz is going to reject him and choose the king of Assyria? No, God knows that's going to happen, right? So what does God say in response to him? He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You want a sign, Ahaz? You want to see how great I am? You want to see that you don't have to fear because I'm going to be with you? Here's your sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? Now, did a virgin conceive and bear a son to Ahaz during his kingdom? No. Because at the book of prophecy, he's pointing toward a future event that's going to happen. It's because God knows what's going on. He knows the choices that we're going to make. He knows that we're not going to follow him. He knows that we're going to be like Ahaz, right? He knows this holiday season that we're going to put our trust in possessions. And we're going to evidence that with buying, buying a bunch of crap that we don't need. And we're going to put our hope in people. And we're not going to put our hope in him because we, like Ahaz, do not believe that God is with us. And we evidence that in the way that we live our lives. The Old Testament is meant to be a picture of us when we read it. And we're supposed to say, you know what? I'm a lot like Ahaz. But here's the good news of the gospel. God knows that and he still has a plan for you. And that plan is that through a virgin, he would come and impregnate and he would bring a savior into the world that would not only physically save his people from oppression, but it would save all of us from an eternity separated from God. 
Amen? We were the enemy of God. Me and my kids were talking about this last night in our Bible story. It's a hard concept to get across. We were the enemies of God because of our sin. It took God coming to us, incarnating, coming to this world and dying for us so that we could be with God. That's what it means to call God Emmanuel. And at some point in your life, that truth needs to intersect with these two realities of my confession and my my function, my daily life. And it will radically change the way that you live your lives. It'll radically change everything about us. It'll change what we view about God as Father. It will change the way that we feel about Him dwelling inside of us, us being in community together as His people. It'll change the way that I spend my money. It'll change the way that I submit to the authority of God's words. We live in the reality of this promise happening, right? Not happening recently, 2,000 years ago, God fulfilled his promise because God is a promise-keeping God, isn't he? He promised promised Adam that one day he would defeat sin in Genesis 3.15. And he did that through Jesus Christ, right? The serpent was defeated. Hell no longer has reign over us. We're set free. He promised Abraham that one day he would create a people and that people would be a blessing to the world. He did that through Jesus Christ and we are those people today. He promised David that one day he would give a king over the people and that king would righteously rule and we would get to live under that, some more, that, uh, that submission to his authority. That king came in Jesus. He promised a sacrifice that would one day come and would forever end this need for us to continue to try to be good people before God because he would pay the penalty for our sins. He promised that one day a, a high priest would come and we would be able to have this amazing, beautiful relationship with God through his Holy Spirit that Isaiah and Ahaz could have never even fathomed. In church, that's all happened. We live now in the reality that Emmanuel has come and it's beautiful. I just need my heart to be open to that truth, don't we? And that's something that God has to do. So today, church, what we're gonna do is we're gonna say, okay, God, open my heart to know you. I don't wanna go through another Christmas season standing in long lines and buying gifts for relatives that don't need them, but I wanna come and remember the work that you've done when we take communion. And remember that God is with us and dwells inside of us. So for church, you're called to that response. Actually, all of us are called to make a response. I mean, when you hear that message, it beckons a response. You can't just hear that and say, oh, I'm just gonna keep you know, going about life the way I always have been. You either have to choose. And you can choose like Joseph and you can choose like Mary and you can say, I'll do as the Lord commanded. Or like Mary, you can say, and, and, I, and I will be your servant and do as the Lord commanded. Or you can choose like Ahaz and you can continue to put your hope in people and in things and in yourself and you'll continue to be rebellious toward God. So if you're a Christian, I would invite you to come to the tables today as we, as we sing. Christian and Alyssa and, and Laura are gonna come back up and, and respond to that truth of God being, being with you. But if you're not a Christian in this room, I would challenge you to wrestle with the reality of the gospel message, that God does want to be with you. He has come. 
And so you have to choose whether or not you're going to allow God to come into your life and radically change you and to live the way that he created you to live. If you want to know more about that, I would love for you to come and talk to me. I'll be, I'll be sitting right down here and I can come tell you more about Jesus, what it means for God to be with you. Or afterwards, come and catch me uh, with the service or there's a couple other people standing up in the back of the room. Uh, Doug and Royce, come and talk to us. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're just, you're just saying, man, I, I'm just... I just need somebody to pray for me. I, I, I hear you and I believe you confessionally, but it hasn't, it hasn't sank into my life. I would encourage you to get prayer. You know, prayer is a, a, a mighty way that we see God work in our lives. So there's gonna be men and women that are in this room that would love to pray for you, would love to tell you, uh, would love to pray over you and allow God to come in and, uh, and, to, and to speak to you. So, so uh, as we come to the tables, let's remember, God was with Adam, he was with Moses, he was with Abraham. He was with David. He was with Ahaz. He was with Joseph. He was Jesus. And he promised to be with us for all eternity until the end of the age. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you thanking you, God. Thank you so much that Emmanuel has come. This beautiful plan that Ahaz could not even have fathomed. Even Isaiah couldn't have imagined what you would do when you would come to this earth in the form of a babe. You would be born, identifying with our, our humanity, with our, with our sinful uh, brokenness in order to be a sacrifice, uh, but also coming as a God. And so you, you came and you died, not just as a human being, but you died as a God because it took that type of a payment to pay for our sins. Father, may you open our heart and our mind to that reality and may that be evidence in the way that we live our lives when we leave this place as your disciples, believing that you are with us. We come before you. We ask this in the name of the Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.